Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucet, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. And as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today is a martial artist, entrepreneur from Melbourne, Florida. She's the former owner of two companies and acquired commercial land for her business before exiting in 2021. She currently practices real estate and business acquisitions when not studying or sharing in her martial arts career. She's been studying and competing in martial arts for most of her life, and she'll be making her movie debut with many legends of martial arts very soon. Please welcome my guest today, Miss Morgan Frechette. How are you doing today, Morgan? Oh, I'm doing so well, Brian. It's what a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for having me. Oh, I, I'm glad you said yes. I'm glad we're able to do this. And, and I know you said you've listened to a few episodes, so you kind of know how we kick things off, but I want to go back to the beginning. You know, what led to that first interest in martial arts? Where did that first spark come from and what kind of kicked off your martial arts journey? Oh, wow. What a, what a deep question, Brian. <laughs> and take all the time you want to answer it. No time limit. <laughs> oh, well, I definitely have to flip the pages back several chapters because my fascination with martial arts began before I can remember at a very young age. And it's funny because I, I do deals now in career, right? I do real estate deals and business deals, but I will always reflect back and say that the most important deal of my life was the one that I negotiated with my mother at 12 years old to let me start karate lessons. Nice. <laughs> so I... I was just fascinated with martial arts, karate do especially, uh, from a young age. And there was just something about seeing a student in that white uniform and that colored belt and being coached and the idea of the different levels and ranks that increase your understanding and ultimate mastery and what, what is beyond mastery, what is beyond the black belt. Something about that leveling up mindset just fascinated me so much. and. I will say that for years as a child, uh, I was not allowed to practice martial arts or watch martial arts or anything like that because wow. my, yes, my family felt like it was a little too manly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they felt like it was, you know, not the right sport or hobby for a young woman. And I did grow up with a big family. So the priority of the children as a whole was what we were allowed to do, not so much individual sports or hobbies all the time. So needless to say, I had to wait many years and really just fantasize about the opportunity for karate or martial arts. I think unlike a lot of people I have met or heard about, a lot of times their parents do just sign them up. And I've taught for years as well. And it was one of those things that if a child wants to do karate or taekwondo or MMA, then their parents just sign them up. Or maybe they know someone who can bring them to class and that sort of thing. But for me, I think because my desire for karate was so strong and it was suppressed, <laughs> I would say that I was held back for many years, wow. that when I was finally allowed to do it, I was like a horse at the gate that could not be stopped. Uh, I, I really 
allowed my mom to see the opportunity finally after years of begging. I said, mom, I found a karate class. It's within two miles of the house. It is free. It's taught at a church. You like church. What better match? <laughs> I even have a friend who has a hand-me-down uniform. There is no reason why I shouldn't be allowed to do this, mom. If I can't get a ride, I can ride my bike. I will save up my money and buy a bike. I wanted karate so bad that I found no excuse for my mother to not let me do karate. And the last objective was my math grade. And I really put that one down. That card was, I <laughs> promised to improve my math grade. <laughs> And she said, you know what? I remember very vividly, she looked up at the ceiling and said, you know what? If you raise your math grade, I think we can let you do that. Wow. And from there, I knew my life would be changed forever because I had one of this unlike anything I've ever wanted. And I have not wanted to stop. And uh, it is it is through my blood, karate, and martial arts is my lifestyle. I got to ask, how long did it take you to get the math grade up? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, I really applied myself with my tutor and it wasn't easy, but the math grades did improve. And uh, I, I will say I always struggled with math, especially, mm -hmm. but school in general, um, I really do prefer real life work. And I always knew that. So I will say my grades did not, uh, they were never highly impressive until college. Then I, I enjoyed the work a little bit better, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, college grades, yes, they were great, but math and you know pre graduation, no, I really struggled a lot because I I love to work and I did a lot with small business, uh, okay. just working on my own to earn money wow. before graduating high school and even middle school. Um, and I just knew early on that that was my calling that I would not be so much of a scholar that I would earn my earn my living one day by being an entrepreneur. So that's, that's why I struggled, I think, is because okay. I knew the other side that I was so excited about. That's good, though. So that first school, and you, what style was it? And just what do you remember about some of the first few classes? Oh, my goodness. My first dojo that I was a part of, and I'm still very close to my, my sensei, is a style called Shorinru Karate-do. Okay. And exactly, it is the Kobayashi style of Shorinru. And my sensei is Sensei Roberto out of uh, Virginia. I will be actually traveling to see him in July. I'm so excited to be with he and his school there. And uh, the first things I remember about the class was that it looked absolutely challenging. My first class that I sat in on actually was a belt exam. It wasn't an actual class. Oh, wow. So as you know, Brian, these rank exams are, <laughs> they're designed to scare students. Yep. And anyone watching may not decide to actually enroll and take lessons. But my father said, you have to watch a class before we commit. So that's what we watched. And I said, I want it. I want the hard push-ups and the sweating. And uh, someone looked close to tears at the belt test. And I said that that was what I wanted. Absolutely. So it was a little bit intimidating to some. But for me, that was the challenge that I was excited to accept. And then once you actually started class, what was it once you got into it that made you want to keep going? Because I've talked to people before who tried it when they were younger and they were so excited going in and like, oh, I won this. And then after a few months, nah, they got bored. Mm -hmm. So what was it about it that made you want to give it your all and just stick with it? Well, I think I go back to that long-term fantasy that I grew up with of, of wanting something so much that I wasn't allowed to have. So once I was finally on that floor, and it was a carpet floor, Brian, it wasn't <laughs> the nice mats and the mirrors and the air conditioning. No, it was the carpet on top of concrete in a commercial building and all of that. But that traditional hard style of training that it really fed that long-term zeal that I, I had for a long time that had not been fulfilled up until that point. 
So, you know, it's, it's like a horse at the gate in a race. Once that gate is down, that horse has been itching to run. And I remember being that student and looking around me. And this is something I, I teach on all the time is the idea of being coachable. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I had waited so long, I was so hungry to learn as much as I can. So I think for a typical student, they may have been in a class to learn what is in that moment. But for me, I was truly there to learn everyone else's learning as well. So I remember, and I do this all the time, I teach on this, but listening to the instruction that others are receiving and making corrections, self-correct, your coach's job should be an easy one. You know, they should be Mm -hmm. able to say or make one correction and then we run with it and improve 10 times more. So that's the nature and the mindset that I approached class with was because I had desired it for so long that I was just such a sponge that I listened to the corrections others were making and I would make them on myself before my, my instructor would be able to get to me. <laughs> um, and then another thing is, is, is once your instructor makes that one correction, you, you make that correction and you keep it forever. Yep. That was the other implantation in my mind was when my sensei tells me something, I want to correct it now and I don't want them to have to tell me once more. Nice. That's really impressive at that age to, to think about that. So that's Thank good. You, sir. And I, I tell you, I would have killed for carpet. My first three schools were all hardwood floors that shared with dance schools. So wow. yeah, my, oh, fir- my, yeah, my first one, when I was 10, it was a dance school above a police station. And that was when I started taking mm. Tung Sudo. And it was, uh, yeah, it was hardwood. I mean, I, I don't remember at that age falling, but I know my Shotokan school, that was also a hard floor when I was a teenager. I do remember oh, yeah. taking a few falls, you know, doing some spin kicks and stuff and sweaty feet and you slip and mm-hmm. it doesn't feel good to, <laughs> to fall no. on, a, on a hardwood oh, floor. No. So. Oh, no. I was just in Jupiter a couple of weeks ago with a friend who has a wonderful group out there. And it's the same idea, the, the wonderful hardwood I guess maple, perhaps the basketball flooring is mm-hmm. is definitely you know hard on the knees at times, but it, it builds character too. <laughs> definitely. Now, how long did you stay at that school? So I trained there from the age of twelve to seventeen before my family relocated to Indiana, where I am from. Okay. Uh, so unfortunately, I was not able to continue there in Virginia or Maryland, Virginia area, and uh, so that was the first five years of my training and. I want to say Sensei Roberto, his his true expertise for karate is, I want to say, in practical application. Mm-hmm. So everything about my personal practical application now, I want to give that credit to my foundation in karate because he truly took the practical street application from traditional karate techniques from Iha Sensei and instilled them from the first day of my class is that is what I was learning uh, not so much forms and, you know, beautiful technique. Mm-hmm. It was what works from a traditional perspective. Uh, so that was my first five years. Wow. And then what belt did you get to before you left? And then did you get involved in competition when you were at that school? So I achieved up to brown belt under Roberto okay. Sensei and his amazing senior instructors who trained me. And uh, at the time, I it's, it's so funny because I, I said, dad, I, I asked my dad, I said, dad, is there any way? You can talk to my senseis about promoting me to black belt because I'm not allowed to ask. (laughs) You know how it goes as a student. You're not allowed to ask about promotion. So I said, dad, will you please talk to them for me and ask, is there any inkling of a hint that I can earn my black belt? Because I don't know if I'll be able to earn a black belt after I move. Well, you know how it goes after you move out of state to a new Mm -hmm. school, you may have to start over. So I just didn't know what my future held with my karate. So it was, it was cute. You know, my father sat down 
and uh, sat down with my instructors and Roberto Sensei, and uh, they didn't give him a straight answer, of course. <laughs> Uh, just, you know, that running, you know, she's very dedicated. She's a, a one in a million student. I'll never forget that. Um, but they couldn't let me know for sure. And six months later, I moved. And that is when I, I got involved in competition as a brown belt. Brian okay. is 17 years old, brown belt uh, in Indiana. And to this day, I have a great relationship with that is my my second sensei is okay. Donnie Michael in Kokomo, Indiana. And uh, yes, he just threw me right in with his incredible school of huge, just wildly accomplished students from the Indojo students to the competitors. They are all just really wonderful technique students and tons of achievements. And it was just a great learning experience for me to be at the bottom of the totem pole mm -hmm. of his competition team. And uh, that, that was my first introduction. So was that also Shoranru or did you start a whole new style? Mm. So Sensei Donnie embraced me right away under Shoran Ru Shoran Khan. Okay. So very closely similar for, for a transitioning student mm -hmm. such as myself. It worked out great. He embraced me with everyone else, got me caught up to speed with everyone else at my level. And yes, it was that a different branch of Shoran Ru, Shoran Ru Shoran Khan. Okay. And then uh, you said you got involved in competition then. So what do you remember your first tournament? Mm, I do. I do. Okay. Uh, I, I earned third place in fighting and I slipped in kata. I was oh. performing a kata called chinto. I, are you, I'm not sure what style you do. Uh, not, not Brian, familiar. But... I, yeah. I, okay. Many styles, but I've never done shonru. So not familiar with their, with their forms. Sure. Yeah. Well, yes. I slipped on the, the hard basketball floor, okay. the court there. I wasn't accustomed to that being new at competition and didn't place in kata, but I do remember it was a good kata. So um, I was proud of at least performing for the first time and doing well. Just it was a learning experience as far as, you know, being accustomed to a different flooring. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's the, I think my first tournament too was on a hardwood floor. Not, I've only done one tournament. I was never a competition person. I did one tournament in my life. And the only reason I did it is because I had an instructor that forced me to do it. And I, I, did, I, had, I did not want to. And I ended up getting my headgear kicked off. <laughs> Oh, wow. And, and I remember really? he hearing my mom gasp across the gym. <laughs> and oh, I was no. like 18 or 19 too. And I could still hear my mama. <gasps> and my first thought was, don't come down. Don't come down. <laughs> Stay I'm in your seat. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I say this to students now that I encounter is when I go to tournament these days, it's not so much to challenge others. Mm -hmm. And I always viewed it that way. Maybe it was because I, I did approach tournament later in life and later in my martial arts training. But I used to approach it as I'm there to challenge others and beat them. And then more lately in the last few years, my mindset has been completely turned around and it has been so fulfilling to know it's not about them. It's about me. This is an opportunity to be selfish is go to these tournaments as an opportunity to challenge you and face your own fears and overcome your own personal goals that you're you're trying to achieve whether you're looking at facing a fear of getting hit a fear of falling in a match a fear of stage fright and competing with a kata a fear of dropping your weapon in kobudo mm -hmm. whatever your fear is you're there to overcome that not somebody else and if you happen to beat someone else awesome great job but it shouldn't make us any different, I don't think. And that's that's what's been very fulfilling for me competing at uh, a black belt level. 
That's a great um, grandma is, look. I love that. Yeah, we, we can't be, we're, yeah, we have to keep our blinders on and remember that we're there to get better, mm. not be everyone else and be better. Okay. On so anyone else. how long did you stay at that school in Indiana then? That was short lived for being physically there. I, mm-hmm. I continued to keep in touch and whatnot once I, I had to move again, actually. But I was only there for a little over a year. Okay. Um, so very, very dedicated fast-paced training with Sensei Donnie. I was there very frequently uh, competing every month. And then I graduated high school and went on to college, continued to train, you know, a a very nice little group there at Indiana Wesleyan University. And I realized two years into my bachelor's degree that I really wanted to work and be in the workplace and not invest time and energy in a degree that I don't know is the right fit for me long-term. So I put the brakes on my college degree, which included any training in Indiana, and I relocated to Florida from there. So at 20, actually 19 years old, um, that's when I moved out of Florida. So I was only at, only in Indiana training for a few years before it was time to okay. work on the next chapter. And did you get your black belt while you were in Indiana? Yes. Sensei Donnie, I, I made a Facebook post recently, but I credit him to so much of my approach to, to martial arts, um, including my first black belt. So very, very gratefully, he really worked with me for a year straight. And he said, you know what, you deserve to be on the next promotion. So it, it's funny because I, I think about this all the time, but I actually failed much like, much like middle school mm-hmm. and elementary school. I didn't do well in school and I did not pass most of my underbelt martial arts tests. And the reason wasn't because of the same reasons in, in actual school for me. Mm-hmm. The reasons were my senseis wanted me to feel the burn of just failing a test right. and coming back. Are you going to come back? Are you going to make the very slightest of corrections that we give you that we failed you for? It was a very tough traditional upbringing that I, I grew up with in my martial arts. So I wasn't used to passing tests. Uh, most of my, yeah, from white belt through brown belt, most of my tests were second, third attempts uh, because my senseis really wanted us to earn it and show that, show it to ourselves, prove it to ourselves that this was worth earning. So once it was time to earn my black belt, I just, it, Sensei Donnie, I'm sure remembers it, but it was very hard for me to accept because of that upbringing. But he reassured me, you know, you have earned this. And I think it's one of the greatest accomplishments for any martial arts student is to feel that they've, they've arrived and, and earned that from their sensei. So do you remember, I just thought of this question because I had kind of had a similar experience. I, I think mine was probably half to maybe three fourths of mine that I didn't pass the first time. But do you remember the longest between taking your first test, not passing, and then having to retest a second, how long before you actually got the belt? Like what was the longest oh. in between testing oh. times? I almost forgot about that entire journey. <laughs> yes. That's just, the, the part curious. you don't remember. <laughs> exactly. Well, I do, so but my, my, mine was 10 years. That's the only reason I remember. <laughs> That's a whole other story. <laughs> That's a whole other wow. story. That was my black belt no, test, I... actually. So. <laughs> okay. Long story. No, I, I would say, uh, yeah, I would say about... S- Probably six months, you know, once you get up there. And that's, and a, I mean, that's a long way to wait. That's, yeah. especially for colored belt, a lot of times that mm-hmm. long, people won't come back. So even more power to Correct. you. That's awesome. That's true. That's true. So what do you remember about your black belt test? It was very long. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, in Indianapolis at a venue that was pretty well fitted as, as this medieval night museum. Mm-hmm. So it, it made for this very eerie 
<laughs> interesting testing area with a dimmed lighting approach on your black belt test. So it, it felt it felt pretty intense. And it was for, I think, a whole day. Okay. You know, family came, grandparents came. So that was very special. But yeah. <laughs> so for show and rear, what, what is some of the stuff involved in the black belt test? That's, I think that's one style I've never discussed a black belt test with someone about. I try to, I always ask that with different styles, just to people get an idea of, you know, the different things you do for, because people, a lot of people think a black belt's a black belt. And obviously, you know that they're not. <laughs> and styles are di- no. different and, and tests are different. So what are some of the things you had to go through? Well, I think, I think another thing on that is every instructor is different. Yes. Every school owner is going to be completely different in how they operate because of their own background and ex- expertise or experience. So the way my instructors, sensei out in Virginia, Maryland, Virginia, I'd say Virginia, Maryland, Virginia, because I lived in Maryland and mm-hmm. the school was in Virginia, but the way their test would be, would be entirely different from another instructor's test versus the test that I give, that sort of thing. It really comes down to the the melting pot of that instructor's preference along with their curriculum that they follow, right? Mm-hmm. So a, a belt test for myself in Indiana with Sensei Donnie, it was very, very long, went through every single kata, every single ipon or, or kumite drill, um, self-defense practical application, a lot of curriculum-based uh, run through. Okay. Whereas uh, I'm sure in Virginia, I was I was dreading that black belt test <laughs> the same <laughs> because uh, it it would have been probably you know very very equivalent, just different. Okay. Yeah. Do you guys in in Shornru, do you do board breaking as part of your test, or is that not something you you have? That's really up to the preference of the instructor, and okay. it has not been my experience that I've come across a whole lot of that in Shorinru. Okay, um, I have a couple of friends here and there that that do focus on board breaking or brick breaking, mm-hmm. yep. concrete block breaking. <laughs> They're scary, but <laughs> that's not that common, to be honest with you. Uh, it might be slightly recreational. I know I used to do that all the time with my students. Every test we had board breaking, but it was more of a ceremonial celebratory. Nice. Thing, okay. You know. Cool. Not so much of a challenge. Yeah. So do you remember the first tournament that you, you won like first place or grand champion, you know, whatever they had at the tournaments you were at? Um, I think I remember a, a couple that were, I, I do think that I remember a couple that were pretty monumental for me. Okay. Um, one being a, an all female competition I attended as a brown belt and that was in I believe Chicago Um, and I only go to really the the hometown style tournaments I Mm -hmm. don't do a whole lot of the big U.S. open I don't I don't really do that because it takes me away from my goal right my goal is I am there to get better as an individual I'm not there to set myself up for failure for people who treat this competitors who treat this like the Olympics I'm sorry I just I don't train that way (laughs) I don't train that way I, I honestly can't I can't dedicate my my career that in that way um and i very much admire those who do but for me i really enjoy attending the hometown style tournaments led by uh, local dojos and that sort of thing so this one was led by a female instructor out in chicago and she was awesome her name is master kenyatta and several students in that community were there and i remember placing and then winning grand in kata. Um, I probably didn't win my fight. I don't remember the fight, but I probably didn't win because Chicago and Detroit, all, all those areas have excellent right. fighting for karate. <laughs> um, 
Two others was one in an AAU tournament. I remember beating a boy. And AAU is really fun to compete with because mm-hmm. you're competing in kata side by side versus individualized. Oh, so wow. okay. I'm up there as a teen brown belt. Again, I'm newer to tournament mm-hmm. without very much experience, but I'm up there running kata and uh, ran against the boys. I was the only female and I ended up winning. So that was a, a fun accomplishment. And then the other one, the other one, I'll never forget this out in Greenfield. I can't remember the city, but out in Kentucky, uh, it was one of the best learning experiences for me in life and in martial arts, but mostly in life is I went with my sensei Donnie in Indiana. We traveled to Kentucky and went to sensei Eubanks tournament out there. And I'll never forget this young lady was really going hard in the ring. And I was a teen brown belt. I remember looking back at my sensei and saying, giving him that look of, what do I do? This this girl is really pushing me around. She was taller than me, stronger. And she was trying to push me to the ground, kick me to the ground. I look back at him. My eyes are wide. I'm like, I'm, I know I'm going to get hurt, sensei. And the judge paused for a moment and gave her a warning. And I went back to my sensei and he grabbed me by my face shield, Brian. And he said, listen, this girl is not here to win on you. She's here to hurt you. Wow. <laughs> and from there, I lit up the match. <laughs> I lit it up because he showed me the switch that I had in me. That's cool. And uh, from there, I just gave it right back to her even harder, even faster, even more creatively. And she threw her hands down and turned around and walked out of the ring. Wow. Mid-match. Mid-match. That's awesome. <laughs> that is cool. <laughs> I looked at my sensei. I said, "What do I do?" He said, "They just stopped the match. She she relinquished, and it was really neat because you know, like a lot of wonderful instructors, they give uh, constructive criticism and they yep. give praise and moderation. And when we got back home, sensei he he just he told that story several times in the dojo, <laughs> and that's when you know that you made your sensei proud. Yep. So that's one of those things. This that is one of those moments for me in my training and competition that that taught me that man, it doesn't matter how bad you're getting beat down. Mm-hmm. It does not matter if you want you can turn on that switch and you can give it right back and you can come out on fire in the best way. That's alive. awesome. That's, I'd, lo- I'd love to see that. That's so cool. <laughs> and it I, was and honestly that's... the best learning lesson. <laughs> And I also, I've never, I've never seen an all female tournament. That's really cool. I'm, I'm, you know, if they'll still go on. Oh, that would be, that would be wonderful. I don't know if they still go on. You know what, Ryan, at this, at this time, I would say that it would be very difficult to put something like that on. Yeah. um, Because we're seeing fewer, I believe, and I could be wrong about this, but I think that we're seeing fewer and fewer females participating at the higher level, perhaps not so much in underbelt, but I venture to say that. I mean, I just think it's it's harder to get female participation, but I could be completely wrong. Um, I would agree to a point I, because sure. I, I run into the same thing. Just honestly, just trying to find female guests for my show sometimes. <laughs> I mean, mm, yeah, really? Honestly, it's I, I'd say out of 120 plus episodes, Aww. probably one out of five, one out of six, maybe. Yeah. <sighs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah and you know they're out there. Like, you know, people like you doing it that that helps obviously in inspiring you know younger generations. So that's good. But right, right. I'm curious. Well, did, did you ever uh, compete in weapons? I used to. Yes. Okay. Quite a bit. I will say the the reason why I have not focused on kabuto or weapons as much in my career, 
One is I didn't have access to it until I was a brown belt okay. training with Sensei Donnie because we didn't train weapons in Maryland, Virginia area um, for my school. In Indiana, yes, Sensei Donnie and his school is phenomenal with weapons. Sensei Donnie is the best I've ever seen with Kabuto. Nice. Um, he knows so many different competition katas for his students and they all look incredible. But um, because I trained there for only a short time in the big scheme of everything, I didn't have that much training with weapons. So I've really only learned uh, a couple of years worth for okay. me in my training. And yes, I've competed some, but what, I, what I'll say on that is that Kabuto really is an investment like anything in martial arts. Mm -hmm. It's a study. To do it well, you really need to apply yourself and invest in the time. And when I do that for Kabuto, it, it does take me away from what I prefer to and uh, need to master continue training in is my open-handed techniques and, okay. and training. Um, so I'm more than happy to play around with weapons and learn, learn here and there, but I can't, I don't, I just make the choice not to invest too much. What's, your, what's your favorite? What's your go-to weapon? The bow staff is my, nice. my probably most comfortable. It's the most practical one. So I, I get that. You know, I, you know what I have to, I might have to recant slightly. I think that the Eskrima ah, okay. is, is right up there too, because it is a short it is a short staff. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the momentum and the leverage that you get is, I when you say practical, it really does make me think so much more of the Eskrima okay. or the Kali stick. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes mm -hmm. sense too. So so then you you, you left Indiana and moved to Florida. What, uh, w what was next in your martial arts journey when you got to Florida? Was it uh, staying with the same style, finding a new school, or did you change styles at, at any time? Or When I moved to Florida, it was a, it was a grand transition for me into a new chapter. I, I was a brand new mother. And as I was saying earlier, I knew that finishing college for me at that time was not the right decision. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to enter the workforce and begin just working as an entrepreneur or in sales. So I, I did choose sales. And karate had to go to the wayside briefly. So I would train by myself. I would work out on my own. But I didn't have anyone to train yet. And what happened next is that my father passed away when I was 19. Wow. And we all have that somebody in our lives mm -hmm. who is that cheerleader, that person that we think of when you think of who is your motivation, who is the biggest cheerleader. And for me, that was my father who who inspired me to that level. And when when I lost my father very unexpectedly, I really felt several different fires of passion for me die. And I thought that I was done training for about a year. Wow. I really felt like that perhaps I only did it for him. That was a big question mark for me for a while. And I knew that in time, I needed to get back to my training because you just spend too much of your life to not continue. So what I did was I, I found a, a wonderful group since they does out in Cocoa Beach. And I said, you know, I don't think I'm ready to completely jump in, but I would like to watch your class. You know, I just, I will be honest with you. I just lost my father and I'm really not in the position to commit completely back to my karate. And I watched a class and I, I said, okay, this is a great group, you know, good friends I can make here. And Sensei Des persisted, though. He, he gave me every every reason to come back. He said, you know, hey, you know, don't wash this away. You should come back. I know that it's a hard time for you just losing your father, but, you know, you can't just, you know, really continue with your martial arts. And it took everything in me to answer his phone calls, to be honest, because 
I just really wasn't in the emotional place yet to revisit my karate. And then one day he, he gave me another call and I said, you know what, Sensei does, I really appreciate that, but childcare is expensive. I don't, I don't have a reliable babysitter. And he said a couple of words that changed my life. He said, bring her with you. Yep. And I knew from that moment that Sensei does had me. <laughs> and I, I use that all the time now. And, at, you know, now in my work, I, I do deals and I put deals together. And that is all about overcoming objections, always finding a solution to an issue. There's always a way. There's always a better way. There's never a closed door. Just kick another one open. Yep. There's always a way to get what we want or need to do done. And that's exactly what Sensei does help me do is he helped me overcome every single objection. And one being that I had an 18 month old daughter. Wow. So there I did. I, I went on eBay at the time. eBay probably was the thing <laughs> and ordered her the smallest gi that you can buy. <laughs> <laughs> and I brought my daughter to Cocoa Beach Karate for a year and she did the sit up. She did class with me. And that's awesome. I said, yeah, this is this is the way that I, I was able to salvage my fire back. And to this day, I'm great friends with Sensei Des and his group. They are just a wonderful light in our community. And he has a huge heart for philanthropy through karate, which I, I adore. I am in full agreement with him on that. We're going to uh, inspire a huge group of camp kids next week. I'm really excited about I help him nice. do that every year. Um, so thanks to Sensei Des, and I, I preach this to his class whenever he lets me go and <laughs> preach to his students. Mm -hmm. I, I preach that, you know, one impact you think is small for someone could change the lives of so many more than you know. And because Sensei does help me reel myself back into my karate, I have gone on to teach and teach several, several people, hundreds of people in their karate and help others in karate and inspire others that I might not have had he not helped me get back on track with my martial arts. Wow. That is so cool. <laughs> Thank you. Now, what, what happens from there is really the birth of the rest of my journey and okay. more of my, my now okay. where I am now and what I'm doing now. I well, have really quick uh, before we get to that. Cause I know you, you, you were just talking about teaching. When did, oh, when was the first time you taught? Was it at your, your first school in Virginia? Was it in Indiana? When did teaching become something you were even interested in at all? That's so funny. We must be pretty like-minded because that's exactly, <laughs> I was transitioning exactly nice. into that. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So from there, about a year in training and spending time with Cocoa Beach Karate as friends, I was really involved in nonprofit work at the time as a guardian ad litem, which is a court appointed child advocate mm -hmm. and for children in foster care. And I was on the board of Children's Home Society and I was working with teen girls who were in foster care. And at the time, I had these young girls who were like, Miss Morgan teaches karate. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I knew that uh, now that I was back on track with my karate, I knew it was time to go ahead and, and take myself into a new chapter with my karate. So I let Sensei does know and how grateful I was that he embraced me with his group. You know, as friends, we and like we are today, I would become another dojo in the community. And what I did next was I looked for opportunities to teach. I was looking for, I was looking for space in the schools. I was looking for a church that had available space or a community center, and nobody wanted me. Wow! <laughs> and 
Meanwhile, it was too far away from Sensei Dez's or else I would have just referred everyone to Sensei Dez's. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it was too far. We're talking 30 minutes into almost West Melbourne and he's over by the beach. So I knew and where I lived too was about 35 minutes away. I knew that I needed to bring my show and rail in self-defense a little bit closer mainland. So as friends, I let him know that I I had a, a mission. I can see that I'm being called to teach in the community. I just don't know what that looks like yet. So I was hunting very hard for a space. Just I just wanted to teach for free mm-hmm. because I was at that time I was in college as well. I was finishing my second half of my bachelor's degree and I just wanted to pursue this as a side situation that I do for the community for free or low cost and teach my children in foster care, give them that additional outlet with me. And nobody wanted me, Brian. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Maybe they they thought that I was too young or whatnot. I don't know what it was, but I realized that the only way I was going to be able to make this happen was if I started a business, which I knew I could do. Mm -hmm. And that is where I combined my entrepreneurial passion and skills in order to make this dojo. So my thought was to rent space and form a dojo that I taught at. However, I caught a lead from someone whose child attended a school. They said, you know, this school is being abandoned. The owner just literally walked away without any warning. He sold a bunch of gear to the students and then just left for a job. Wow. So I said, hmm. And I spoke with the landlord. I spoke with the wife of that school owner and I bought the business and it allowed them to leave all of the gear there, all of the mats, the mirrors that were up. So I had a little bit of a boost, but I had no students because the students were all so upset that they left and the former owners were not willing to share their roster with me. So I was starting from scratch and I was starting with negative, you know, a negative reputation already in the community. I kept the name of the school, Oh, okay. Um, but I did really brand that it was under new ownership. I pushed that very strongly. And from there birthed that school. Wow. Was that Suntree? Was that that one? That's that, correct. Okay. Suntree Martial Arts. So why and did why did you decide to keep the name? Is there was there a specific reason behind <laughs> it or? Well, one is I'm very awful with multiple options. <laughs> Don't put me in the grocery store or in a closet with a lot of options. Honestly, if I could wear the same outfit every day, just like a karate uniform. <laughs> I like consistency. I don't okay. like I don't like a lot of options to pick from. So even my last business, I I literally asked my business coach to pick the name of my business, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and she did, and I ran with it. Okay, but you know, I think with multiple options, for me, it was a more powerful strike for me in a good way to say under new ownership mm-hmm. coming in, trying to give it n- not just a facelift from a visual standpoint, but from a communal standpoint, the community would know that this, I wanted that. I wanted them to know that this business that was there was under a new individual that would change things. Okay. So did you, do you know, did any of the former students find their way back there? Fortunately, uh, two, actually, I believe three. Okay. Three did. Yes. I'm very grateful that they did. But first and foremost, the like any like any business, and I knew that this had to be run like a business mm-hmm. if it was going to be successful. And I said, we need to try to fill this up with as many students that we can touch as possible. You know, let's let's do community events. Let's go to community events. Let's have them here. Let's go to them and let's get the word out and show them what Century Marshall is now 
and we started first first was sponsoring children in foster care okay. we had several children in foster care at first and things changed unfortunately with children in foster care where they can't stay very long right. but um to to bring martial arts to the student is something that i i'm very passionate about is it's not me standing on a deck telling the students what a technique should look like i look at the student and i show them how to get there and i just i am very passionate about that because that's why my my slogan was where every student matters it's not about us bringing students to our karate it's about us showing them how to get there and i think all too often you know students they feel they feel badly about where they're not or you know instructors at times we sometimes we feel like you know our students should be this way or that way but in fact a lot of times a student really needs inspired on how to get there yep. um, a part of my approach to this the school and my teaching style was an approach of empathy because growing up we had a brother we still have a brother who has severe autism and that was one of my first jobs as a child was working along the adults along the actual therapists i was one of the therapists i was also his special needs therapy dog handler and therapeutic horseback riding instructor i did these different roles of therapy for my brother along with the actual therapists and that early education for me really cultivated a sense of being able to look into a student from more of a physical stance, but also an emotional stance and see where they are emotionally and me have a vision of where they can be. And I know how to bridge that gap. And it's because of, for me, it was an early education on working with the special needs community. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's a really special angle that I decided to run with, with our school was I taught almost every single class for the first, you know, for the first three years, I was there every day and almost every weekend. And I just wanted to to really master that for the students is a completely different teaching style. And another thing is life coaching. So hand in hand was an empathetic stance toward martial arts combined with excellence and life coaching. So we would bring in concepts of how to, how to position our mindset like a martial artist and apply it to outside of the dojo, off of the mat, that sort of thing. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, when you're talking about that, you know, my, my traditional Taekwondo instructor that I still train with all these years later, he actually does a special needs class. Fortunately, my schedule doesn't allow me to help with it as often as I'd like, but I don't, the, the, the many times I did that so fun and so empowering helping those kids. And I remember the first time I got to watch one of them get his black belt and, you know, normally, you know, a black belt test, you know, you get your black belt, you know, you shake your instructor's hand. That's all, you know, you're, Amazing. you're respectful, yes. you're respectful. And this young man got his black belt and he let out the loudest whoop and started pumping his fist. And my, <laughs> my, I was looking over at my instructor waiting for him to give him pushups and he had the biggest smile on his face. And I was like, I love it. that was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was so awesome. But to add to that, I was actually at the beach with my daughter not too long before I decided to start teaching. And just like you're saying, I noticed a child with Down syndrome. It was funny because I was actually on the beach watching my daughter play out in the waves. And I see from a distance, I see this little girl take this cup of water and splash it on top of my daughter's head pretty excitedly. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, that, that looks like uh, it could have been a little upsetting. Mm -hmm. So I walk out there, the other little girl's mother's walking out there as well. And as I approached, as I got closer, I realized that the little girl had Down syndrome. And the mother, of course, felt really bad. <laughs> and she said, I'm so, so sorry. She doesn't understand completely. And I know that she didn't mean any harm. 
I said, I completely understand. I'm, I, you know, my daughter's completely fine and absolutely no problem at all. I'm glad that they're having a good time. And we just got to talking and she learned that I trained martial arts for most of my life and I, I'm interested in teaching again. And what she said next really split my heart open. She said, I've been wanting to get my daughter into martial arts, but I can't find an instructor who will take her. Wow. And I said, oh, my God, again, because of my my background in the special needs arena, I can look at a child right away and know if I can help them or not. Mm -hmm. And I I looked at her and I said to myself, and I think about this often, I, I remember thinking, I would love to teach this girl. I know how I can help her. So it, it really showed me that that unfortunately, not every student is getting helped right. the way that they could be. So again, uh, I wrote the slogan where every student matters. And like you're saying, uh, the first class that I opened was our special forces class. And our first student was a, a young student with Down syndrome. That was really incredible. But that was the first. I knew that the rest would come, Brian, like right. like anything in, in organizational management or business. You know what will what will work and you know what needs more focus than usual because it's not as common. Mm -hmm. So this group of classes, basically the special forces. It was a special needs class. That's and a, I love that name too. That's a cool name for a class. I love that. <laughs> I, I wish I could take the credit for that. I really do. But <laughs> someone else, it was someone on the Facebook page, some group, he suggested it and I loved it. So again, I wish I could take that credit, but that's cool. Though. Yeah, but you ran with it. it. You got to take credit for, for seeing that it was a great idea. So <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Well, we ended up having uh, another student with Down syndrome and one with autism and actually so we had four four total students two with autism two with down syndrome in that class and uh, they were they were monumental for us they tested alongside of the other of every other capable typically capable student mm -hmm. um, we did events with the special needs community with these students representing so they were you know they were very included and uh, that's something that something i think is really important <laughs> that's great i love it and how long were you at that location how long did you stay at that, that spot? So I had I had that school for five years. Okay. Um, my vision for that school was to salvage a, an unfortunate situation, mm -hmm. make it great. And then my vision was to have other senior students run the school and I would stay involved. Unfortunately, the way things panned out, uh, the new ownership just really wanted to brand it as their second location. So they do have the school in its entirety now, and I'm very, very proud of each student that was able to, to go through my programs. Did you then move to a new location and continue teaching or take a different path at that time? So for me, at least, that school was quite the operation. Mm -hmm. We had over 100 on the roster wow. in a quick time, and then next door, I, I built a daycare by need. I, I'm not really one to follow the dream. I don't even know what my dream is. <laughs> I've never known what my dream is. I follow the opportunity other than karate. I will take that back. Yeah. <laughs> All I've known is I love karate and I love entrepreneurship. I don't follow the dream. I follow the opportunity and I follow the need. So two years into our traditional karate programs, I realized that there was an underserved market here for after-school programs, meaning the programs that are driving children from school back to karate mm -hmm. and facilitating them for the rest of the day with karate classes, tutoring, and extracurricular activities, summer camps as well. So there was just, there was not enough of that in our community. And we had, I could tell we had a demand for that in our own student body. So 
we began renting space next door. And from there, I had to secure another space for our after school program. And by the time we were done, we had 69 children. So we had close to 200 in total. And we were really at full capacity on both sides. And from a business standpoint, I had to take off my sensei hat and look at it from another side of things and say, do I want to take this business to the next level? Do my students want to go to that next level? So I had a decision to make and it was my time to make the decision. Do we want to go to the next level or do I want new ownership to come in and now Morgan continue on with what Morgan does, which is I follow the opportunity and I, just like I did with the school, I salvaged the school and brought it to where it needed to be to its fullest potential with me. I brought it to as far as I could get it and I built the daycare next door, et cetera. I brought it to where as far as I could go. And now it was that pivotal decision time. Do I continue and scale from here or is it okay? Exit time. And now Morgan does what Morgan needs to do because of the nature of those two businesses, which, you know, are, are very family oriented and heartfelt. It was an immense toggle for me because I also love entrepreneurship. I love business. So I know how to to salvage a school. I know how to scale a school. I know what works and won't work. I know what the market is looking for in in these two businesses. However, I also have a daughter (laughs) myself. And it was between the, the wearing the business hat and then the sensei hat and the mom hat, I really felt contention personally. And I knew that I would personally be much happier allowing this business to flourish under new ownership. It, it was my turn. I did my best that I could with it. I had a great run. Okay, now it's my daughter's turn and it's my turn to move on to new endeavors. So I'm extremely happy with the five years that we had. And I'm very, very, very proud of each student and family that, that joined me in that journey. That's awesome. So think back then to your very first day teaching to now, what do you think changed the most about your teaching style over those years? <laughs> oh my goodness. I just had this conversation today about teaching one's craft before we feel ready to do so, right? That's exactly the position I found myself in when my children in foster care were saying, "Miss Morgan teaches karate. We went, I didn't know how to teach. I had never actually had the opportunity to teach at all in my former dojos and such that I belong to. And even even later on, I was promoted to my, my third, up to my third degree now in one style and third degree in another. But that's been after a lot of teaching time. I had never taught as a first degree black belt before or before that. And my first day of teaching these children, <laughs> I remember getting this group of third graders, Brian, and they were just looking up at me so cute. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, what am I going to do with these guys? (laughs) I don't know what to do with you kids. And I remember instantly pivoting because I had actually expected for that school to fill up with adults because it is, it's in a child oriented area, definitely, but it's also, it also has an older community as well. And I only had experience with other colleagues in karate who are older. I really wasn't around a lot of kids. I was always the youngest, if that okay. makes sense, and training yep. with older men. And so for me, I just, I didn't put my business hat on for that. I guess I missed that lesson in the moment. <laughs> and I expected to have adult students. What surprised me to death was I had only children. <laughs> so overnight, I had to, 
unwind my vision for the school and cater to my market. What was my market showing me I needed to do? It was become a resource for children, basically, for karate. So instantly I changed my plans for teaching and I said, you know what? I need to go back to what I've done my my whole life almost is I've been the oldest of six kids and I know how to play with young kids and be a therapist for a child and, and with autism. So immediately you just get down to earth with these kids and you become like a child. And it was play. It was fun. It was laughing. It was sweet with a taste of firmness and discipline and seriousness and then a taste of fun. And I remember just having the best time in the world with these students. And I wasn't expecting it because I had never taught before. But going back to, for me, I don't follow the dream, right? Right. My my thought was I was going to teach adults. No, I'm going to teach whoever comes through these doors and I'm going to bring my karate to them. I'm not going to bring their, them to me, right? So I had to calibrate myself instantly to go from the mindset of teaching an adult. No, I will be teaching a child. Okay, now this class is going to be full of three and four-year-olds. I need to know now how to teach my three and four. Okay, now this class has children with special needs. I will teach them special, you know, I will teach them from that standpoint. Okay, now I have seniors. I'm teaching a private lesson with a very limited elderly person. I need to know how to teach. So you instantly just calibrate according to the need, not so much the dream, not how I want to teach. It's how do they need taught? Right. So I'm thankful for that, that upbringing. Yes. Thank you. I'm so thankful for that upbringing and helping my brother growing up. It really taught me how to be adaptive on the fly, creative on the fly, uh, to what works and what, and what will not work with any certain individual uh, student or, um, customer too. It's at the end of the day, these students, we have to, we just have to realize that Mm -hmm. a student is a customer, right? If a dojo is going to be if it's going to be somewhat successful in it's in in what it's trying to accomplish, then we have to remember that we are still catering to the needs of a student. It's just a mindset we have to accept. So I love it. Great answer. All right. So we definitely got to talk about this. I know this is how, how I originally found out about you. I, I, I saw your, your post, you know, there's a movie coming out. That's going to be uh, starting production this fall with some, actually three, three former guests of my show, uh, <laughs> Cynthia Rothrock, Richard Norton, and uh, yeah. Olivia Gruner are all going to be in this show. And it's, it's, it's yes. a Cynthia Rothrock project. So talk a little bit about Black Creek and how you got involved with this. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's I'm exciting. Sure. <laughs> I'm certain that you can hear the grin through oh, the yeah. phone. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So what's so funny is I don't know if I believe in manifestation. I really don't know if I do or not. I'll be a hundred percent honest. I know a lot of people do. A lot of people don't, but a lot of times for me, when I start to believe things or think about things, they just naturally happen for me. I don't know what it is, but for a couple of years, I have been contemplating trying to break into film a little bit just because I'm such a, I'm such a level up person. I always, or level out. I want to always try to challenge myself in new ways. And one way is through martial arts. And I, so I already had it in the back of my mind that I would be open to that. And then secondly, Cynthia Rothrock had been on my mind for many months because she's just, she's a relationship that anyone would be so fortunate to somewhat try to get close to, if at all remotely possible. She's just one of those just legendary figures that you can tell has a way about how they how they go that is, it's unseen. It's not common. Just the example of 
doing something like Black Creek, she's opening her her life and her efforts up to the public, right? right? How many legendary figures like Cynthia are willing and able to pull that off? Again, back to willing, she's <laughs> allowing fans and the public to be a part of something so great. What an opportunity. I just, I can't believe someone as incredible, accomplished and talented as she is, is allowing us the opportunity to be a part of this if we so desire. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> so, cool. So, so it's so funny because I was on Facebook and I, I tend to be a little bit low key for the most part on some things. So I would watch Cynthia from a distance and I remember thinking, man, I would love, I would love to try to get involved with her somehow. Maybe I can start traveling and going to every seminar she hosts and I'll join her online membership where I can be a part of her chats. I was just working on myself as far as how I could start building that connection slightly with Cynthia without being an overstepping figure, right? I'm not going to go in and expect that I can just have access to Cynthia by any means. That's not what I mean. But I was already thinking, how can I start to get on Cynthia's radar? (laughs) (laughs) To be completely honest, she's just one of those individuals that I would love to know in my lifetime I had been able to work with or get someone close to. And boom, Miss Cynthia comes out with her opportunity. And I didn't think for half a second. I knew that I wanted to step forward and, and jump on that. And what's so much fun is from there, I was only planning on being a part of a fight scene. And I think just through some collaborations and emails back and forth, they ended up asking if I would be interested in joining the cast. So I'm really excited about the opportunity now that I, it's just, it's more than what I was planning on. And I was planning on trying to be low key about being on the fight scene and anything like that. But now it's just like, I'm jumping in without any acting experience at all. Now I'm working on it. And to be close to the legendary figures that you just mentioned, yeah. it's it's just a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I'm, I'm so, I'm honored and so excited. That is so, I'm so excited too. I, I can't wait to see the movie and <laughs> I'm trying to get a few more of them on the show. Cause I like Don Wilson, I've been trying to get on the show for a while and he said, yes, I just trying to schedule him and I've been trying to get Billy blanks. Who's also in the movie. And so, yeah, it's, it's, wow. it's really cool. Wow. I mean, it's, you're going to, I guarantee you're going to oh, have yeah. a blast and it's going to be so cool. And uh, you know, you. Ho- hopefully, I mean, hopefully they can get it in theaters, not just streaming. I, I know she wants to try to, That would be incredible. Yeah, That would be incredible. Uh, You know, knowing Cynthia, and I I can't believe I can call her Cynthia. I've never (laughs) called her Cynthia, but I guess that's what everyone calls her. But knowing her, she can do anything. We're seeing it with this own production. Left and right, she keeps coming out with new things that this movie is accomplishing Mm -hmm. that are just undeniably successful that I don't think most people would be able to pull off. Yeah. She is one of those just never ending, uh, unlimited. You can tell she has no limits to what that woman can do. And I admire her so much for it. That's on. She's I mean, breaking records with crowdsourcing and stuff and funding. Oh, yeah. It's so cool. So yeah, I, oh. I, uh, it's going to be fun and I hope it's going to be a major success. So <laughs> yes, I know it will. And you can just tell, I mean, something that, truly attracted me to working with Cynthia from the beginning is I really, truly wanted to be a part of anything that she does. You can tell she approaches her work from the most humble down to earth stance. And what you see in her films, as you know, Brian, is what you get. She looks like such a sweetheart. 
even when she's kicking butt, you know that that is a beautiful soul. Yes. That is a wonderful person in that video, in that film. And that is exactly Cynthia behind the scenes of those films. I still remember that talk about the smile on your face when, when she responded and said, yes, she'd do my podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was smiling for like two days and then she sends me a friend, <laughs> friend request on Facebook. I'm like, wow. Aww. Yeah. And it was just such a fun wow. interview and she just a down to earth and super cool oh person. And yeah. So I, yeah. I definitely get that. <laughs> so you've seen it too. I, I know I, my first interaction with her, I, I was so professional and formal and I was <laughs> sending her emails from my, my corporate email and, and I realized how sweet and down to earth she is that I, I just threw it all away. And <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. I, I, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and I'll, I'll hopefully get, like I said, I'll hopefully have more people on, on that are involved in that talking about it and promote the heck out of it. And, Absolutely. And I can't, you know, I, if my son wasn't in college, I actually thought about helping him do it so he could, because my son's going to school for acting. And he did martial arts for a long time when he was younger. And I thought, like, oh man, if I could get him involved. But, you know, he's, you know, that's wow. right during school time when they're filming and it <laughs> would have been a little difficult oh, to work around. So maybe, yeah, maybe next no, time. <laughs> yeah, for the sequel. Yeah, definitely. Sequel oh, yeah, Brian. exactly. So, and I have to ask you, you mentioned having a daughter. So have you gotten your daughter involved in martial arts? Yeah, it started out so much fun where she was really a part of from both the the martial arts standpoint and then business startup, right? We're, we're building things, we're painting things, we're filling up water jugs, we're doing all of this to start this dojo. And little, my daughter, Kylie, she was so involved as, at a young age, she was helping me with tasks and making up her own katas. It was really cute. <laughs> However, um, yeah, as she got a little bit older and realized the pressure that I think children definitely have when their parents are the instructor, it became harder on both of us. Mm -hmm. So, so it was one of those things where she would participate, but it, it was a little, I think it's just a bit of a, a challenge when it's mom on the deck or when it's your own daughter, you know, you try to make them as comfortable as possible, but they always have that pressure that they have to be like mom. And it's really, I think it's really not fair for her, but I didn't have that many instructors. I had one or two other amazing instructors. So I would try to put her in those classes for the most part. Yep. Uh, but what I realized later on after we did move on is uh, picking a different style on its own for my daughter was uh -huh. the way to go. Okay. So that is the rule in our two person family <laughs> between <laughs> she and I, she, she has to do a ball sport or a, really a sport and she has to do a martial art and stick to her martial art. Okay. So she plays soccer. She also sticks to BJJ or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Nice. And uh, it works out great because she just, she comes with me when I train Muay Thai, I train with Professor Israel Gomez out of uh, Killer Bees here in Melbourne. He's a phenomenal coach. He is the go-to around here for Muay Thai and, and BJJ and kickboxing. Um, so she attends with me and she has her own coach. I have mine and we have our own peers in our classes and it, it just relieves her of the pressure of needing to be like me, especially when I don't train. I actually don't train BJJ. So she okay. feels like she beat me and BJJ, which <laughs> I love. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. It's her own little identity. It's great. Cool. So I'm curious then what you, you talked a little you know, about BJJ and kickboxing and stuff, or what are your thoughts on MMA and the UFC? And are you a fan of that? Mm. I am not great at following any one activity, sport, okay. anything. So I don't know names. I just, I do love watching. However, okay. um, I don't follow anyone, but I do love watching the fights and admiring technique. I study technique. I study movement, Nice. but 
I can't say I'm a huge fan or follower, but if it's on TV, I will watch it and uh, fall asleep to it, that sort of thing. But as far as my my view on UFC, I, th- I think it's great. It's very entertaining. Uh, it's very real. Uh, it's actually something I enjoy teaching on a traditional standpoint is we have to understand that our traditional martial arts, it won't be <laughs> what saves us. It is the mindset of a fighter. Mm-hmm. It's not the mindset of a traditional karate ka. It is the, the mindset of a fighter. So when you see an, a UFC or a Muay Thai fighter, you can tell that they they really they have a calmness about them and then the most fierce striking and kicking. And I think the contrast for traditional martial arts is that in traditional martial arts, such as karate do or taekwondo, we, we are a very polite style, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to fight. We're, we would rather walk away than fight. Yep. So we need to understand that there is a switch, just like I mentioned earlier with me in that ring against that girl that wanted to hurt me in a karate match. We need to understand the other side of things and understand how to fight like they do as well. So it's it's funny you're bringing up UFC, but my additional training is eight years of Krav Maga. Oh, nice. And, okay. And that does really, really cultivate a fighter out yes. of the most timid of students. And that used to be me. I used to want to be the passive, I, I don't want to fight, the polite, yes, sir. And that really got me into trouble later on as a young adult. And I realized how much I needed that fighting spirit, that survivalist mentality of that UFC fighter or that Krav Maga student. That's awesome. Cool. So in all your years of martial arts, is there one philosophy you've learned that stands out? It rises to the top of your list. You keep coming back to it. Kaizen. Nice. Kaizen. Are you familiar with Kaizen, Brian? I I know the term. I actually had a a guest that uh, owns the Kaizen Dojo in Los Angeles. So I love it. I love it. So Kaizen, it literally translates to the continual pursuit of change for the better. And I named my daughter Kylie after the word Kaizen. Nice. Okay. Because as you're asking, it, it is something that I continually gravitate towards. And and why it was because, like I said earlier, that Kaizen and that approach of listening to other instructions that might not apply to me, but taking that and applying it. Because your instructor will tell others instructions, but you can let those instructions completely pass you or you can internalize them to find a way to change for the better. And that is how I was able to do that is through Kaizen. So you listen to everything around you and apply it to you, even if they're not meaning for it to be for you. You take it anyway and find a way to become better from it. So with that Kaizen mindset, you can truly you can improve quickly. You can improve instantly. You can improve forever if you always have that mindset of always seeking change for the better. And I, I find that in the green belt level, the intermediate level is we think that we're done. Okay, now we're just rotting, waiting for our black belt <laughs> test, right? Yep. It's hard to teach the intermediate students sometimes because, or the brown belt level, because they feel like they've already achieved so much. And I understand they've been training for a long time for them. But we have to remember that continual pursuit of change says, what else? What else? Like a dog trying to dig for their ball in the yard. What else is there that I can find? What else is there that I can internalize and grow from? Um, and that is that is how we, I believe, just get continually improve, become masters at our craft, continue branching out and survive. I think Kaizen and survival have a huge collaboration potential. 
Because if you're in a survival situation where you have no choice, you have to figure it out, then you'll never, you'll never quit. You'll never fail because you have Kaizen, that continual search of change for the better. You can be backed into a corner. That's how you keep fighting is because you refuse to not change, if that makes sense. Oh, very. Yeah, I love it. That's a great answer. All right. No I, plateau. No <laughs> plateau zone. Nice. Okay. All right. I have a few fun questions to wrap it up here. Three, four, five names that you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts. So my Mount Rushmore of martial artists would definitely be the ones who have impacted me. One is not, he's not a martial artist, but he's a survivalist of many things. And that would be my father. Nice. Uh, Next, obviously, would be Cynthia Rothrock. Yep, very cool. <laughs> the female legendary monument in my in my upbringing and now is such an empowering female that is unstoppable. Um, after decades and decades and several dozen movies, 70 plus movies, she is still on fire and inspiring and the most humble, helpful person that one of them that I've ever met. So that's definitely Cynthia Rothrock. The others would be my my coaches or instructors. So first would be my my sensei out in Virginia, Sensei Roberto of Shorinru. Second is my sensei Donnie Michael out of Kokomo, Indiana, of Shorinru Karate Do. And then the others would be my my other coaches. More recently are one is Dustin Koppel, who honored me with my rank in Krav Maga and trained me. Nice. And then my Muay Thai coach is Professor Gomez, Israel Gomez out of Killer Bees. And then uh, someone who I, I don't really speak of very much, but really changed my life very much is is Cameron Shane. He has a truly impactful style of martial arts yoga that I was very, yeah, I was very honored to train with for five days in a teacher training in Miami. Now he's out of Big Sky, Montana with his wife, uh, Milane. And the style is called Budokan Yoga. And it's the most incredible practice aside from martial arts I've ever done. It's the combination of explosive yoga that is really from a martial arts perspective. So it combines that warrior with the yogi and we both need each other. The yogi needs to know how to fight, right? The warrior needs to know how to relax like the yogi. So it really bridges that gap and it provides this primary series, which is like a huge kata, (laughs) like a three minute cut. It's a massive kata. So I love to practice that. And he is a high ranking practitioner on karate as well as BJJ. So I would put him on my Mount Rushmore of martial arts as well. And the last I have to give honor to is Sensei does out of Cocoa Beach Karate. If it weren't for him, I don't know if I would have returned to my martial arts, to be honest with you. Okay. That's cool. That's a great Mount Rushmore. I love it. All right. Do you have a favorite martial arts book? Man, Brian, this is hard. (laughs) It's a good ones out there. So I'm so sorry, but I I do read other books, but I'm not I'm drawing a blank right now. Okay, and that's fine. I've had many guests I'm not so not have an answer for that, so don't feel bad. And same with this next question. Many guests don't have an answer for this one, but do you have a favorite martial arts video game? I feel like I'm letting you down today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't play video games either. Okay, um, no worries. Oh, I wish I was more fun. My goodness. <laughs> It's all wow, fun. I'm such a bum. <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay. No worries. I, I don't know the name of this one game growing up. It, it's the game with the... F- <laughs> I'm not even going to describe it. No. <laughs> it was one of the famous games with the with the 
different characters. And I just, I definitely don't know the answer. <laughs> so, All right. I give up. <laughs> so probably like more like mortal Kombat or street fighter or one of those games, maybe, but <laughs> I think it may have been street fighter. Okay. The good, one that says fight. Yeah. Yeah. Good game. Horrible movie. <laughs> so, Oh really? Yeah. John Claude Van Damme was really bad. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'll be sure not to have that one. All right. How about a favorite martial arts TV show? You got one for that? It can be an old school one. It can be a current one. Oh, man. Um, oh, I love Karate Combat. Do you oh. remember that show that they had years ago that highlighted the various styles? It was called Human Weapon. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, God, I forgot oh, about Yes. I completely forgot yeah. about that, but I was watching YouTube reels on that not too long ago. I love that one. What a great show. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to write that down because I'm going to go back and watch episodes for possible future guests. So <laughs> that's a good I idea. Love, I love that. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Great strategy. How about a favorite martial arts movie? <sighs> you can't pick Black Creek because it hasn't been made yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, lately I have obviously been trying to study Cynthia Rothark's movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not going to lie. Nice. Um, I'm really digging Sworn to Justice right now. Okay. That is uh, just the iconic fight scenes in that movie. She does, as always, just the most incredible job. The spinning kicks in that video, I'm just, I'm definitely eating up studying the technique in that movie. Very cool. So I would say Sworn to Justice is at the top of my list. My daughter would smack me and say no it's lady dragon mom <laughs> that's nice. <her> favorite <laughs> okay very cool now that's and i think you're actually the first person to pick sworn to justice so that's good very good really? all right so this final question this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie just a favorite movie fight scene and i just i've had people go anywhere from like star wars and marvel to the princess bride to um, you know john wick and you know, anything in between so anything uh, goes I have to take it to a serious place all the time. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. <laughs> but I have to say the scene from J-Lo's, what is that movie? It's the one where her husband is a terror. Do you know uh, was what it, you know uh, Was it called Enough? Was that the one? Enough. Thank okay, you. Okay, yes, yes. Thank you. So, you know, I love anything, women empowerment or survival, anything mm-hmm. like that with women and relationships is is. It hits definitely hits my heartstrings, and yeah. I love that scene where she was in a very toxic relationship that turned abusive, and she just learned how to train and fight back, fight back for her life, despite how fearful she appeared in that video. She really showcased what it was like to be in a situation like that and what you can do about it and how you can break free and succeed uh, your attacker, even if it's someone you know you trust and you like like a spouse and she sure did that in that movie so i think that that fight scene in enough is one that definitely stood out years ago and it stands out to me now and that's another one no one's picked yet so i like it that's good a lot of people a lot of people go standard and a lot of people pick ones that everyone does and i I like when we get a new one so that's good oh well good you know the problem is that i really don't watch enough movies i i think i read i like to read but I haven't read as many martial arts books as okay. I should have. Who's your favorite so, author? Mm. Just curious. I, I, you, before I started this podcast, I was a massive reader. I used to read a book a week. And once I started the podcast, I just no free time. So I'm just curious who your favorite author is. <laughs> My favorite author would be Robert Greene. He oh. writes The 48 Laws of Power. Oh, okay. Um, which is, is not my favorite book of his. Mm-hmm. I, I really like War where he teaches the mindset of war from actual historic lessons in war. 
Oh, so cool. coming from a very, very militaristic family, almost all of my uncles and aunts have served, including both my parents and both my grandfathers. Then that that book really nice. <laughs> it's it stood out to me. But Robert Greene's a phenomenal author. So is uh, business coach JT Fox. He has an incredible book called The Millionaire Underdog, and it's not so much about being a millionaire as it is just that underdog mentality, just like we have in martial arts, where you can come from nothing and be a nobody. And you can find absolute wild success if you just really go for it, like we know in martial arts. Mm -hmm. So Millionaire Underdog by JT Fox, that's another really great one. Nice. I enjoy. I'm going to have to add those to my list. So, well, Morgan, before I let you go, anything maybe that I forgot to ask you or you want to make sure we, we get out there be, before we wrap it up? Oh, if, if anyone, thank you. If anyone's in Florida or would like to travel to Florida, I will be, I have not actually mentioned this yet, but I will be hosting a tournament oh. here in February. So, Brian, I'm not sure. Where did you say you're located again? I'm in Minnesota. <laughs> so it's a, Minnesota? Hey, that's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I like going places warm in the winter, so especially in, in Minnesota. So, <laughs> Oh, no, I'm, I'm definitely kidding. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoy putting on these tournaments. This is my third one I've done in the last seven years, I think. And this one is solely for charity. Um, I've enjoyed being a part of Nana's House Children's Home here in the area. It's 100% community funded through our local residents and business owners and donors. So uh, events being held like this one mm -hmm. are the way that the children, one way that the children's home stays funded and can pay for their needs. So we'll be doing this one uh, on February 17th here in Vieira. And I am partnering with an incredible group in South Florida called the Martial Arts Foundation. And uh, they're very supportive of my work and I'm very grateful for their relationship. So they're coming up here to Vieira in February and they're going to help me put on this tournament and we will be donating 100% of the proceeds to Nana's House Children's Home. So if anyone listening knows anyone in Florida or wants to make the trip, I would love to see you to do a social media thing together. It'll be a great time and a great opportunity to get together in the name of uh, raising awareness and dollars for charity. That's awesome. If you have a link for that, send it to me and I will, when I release the episode, I'll put that out there too. And I, unfortunately I'm actually going to, I think I'm going to be in Orlando in January. So I'll miss it by oh, like a month oh. probably. Oh, we are passing ships. I know. I know. But who knows? Maybe I'll at least, maybe we can, if I, if I make it down there, maybe we can you know, meet in person. So a lot, a lot of my, a lot of my guests I haven't met in person yet. So it's, it'd, be, it'd be fun to do that. Sure. But but I just, Morgan, I just want to thank you. You're, you're, it's, it, you're so fun to talk to. You're such a good storyteller. You have an amazing story and I can't wait to see you on the big screen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was such an, such a really wonderful opportunity to get together and just talk martial arts. I don't get to do that very often, um, but it, it really brings out that side of us that I think we all, as martial artists, we just really enjoy visiting. So thank you for that opportunity, Brian. And thank you for taking the time. Like I said, this, uh, I can talk martial arts forever and this is just an easy way to do it. I get to record people and then let other people hear us talking Aww. about it. So I, I truly appreciate your time and, and I can't wait to get the episode out. Awesome. I can't wait either. I appreciate it and thank you for your support. Thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist. We hope you'll join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also, be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to Everyday Martial Artist and we'll see you next week.